0: Support for WERU comes from our generous listeners. You make community radio possible. Thank you.
1: Hello, this is CJ Walk, your host for Common Ground Radio, which airs on the first Friday of each month at 10 a.m. here on WERU, your community radio station. Common Ground, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association is an hour-long show devoted to the discussion of organic farming practices and agricultural policy issues that affect us here in Maine and beyond. We talk with certified organic farmers, local food producers, and healthy food advocates about the joys and challenges of striving to attain a more sustainable food system for all. So tune in to Common Ground Radio, the first Friday of the month at 10 a.m., right here on WERU-FM. 89.9 in Blue Hill and 99.9 in Bangor. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Penobscot Bay Press, committed to providing community news and information, publishing three weekly newspapers, the Weekly Packet, Island Advantages, the Castine Patriot, the Annual Bay Community Register, the Summer Seasonal Guide, and more. Also on the web at PenobscotBayPress.com. Support for WERU also comes from Maine Family Planning, providing reproductive health care, education, and advocacy statewide. Now offering primary care in Belfast and Ellsworth. MaineFamilyPlanning.org.
0: It's 10 o'clock and it's time for Healthy Options, but here's a current events announcement. On Main Currents this week, we'll be time-traveling back to 2004 to hear Amy Goodman's informative and often humorous speech at a WERU fundraiser before a huge crowd in Bangor. If you missed it, or even if you were there, tune in to Main Currents for a taste of Amy Goodman speaking before a live crowd back in 2004, and get inspired for her upcoming visit to Bangor on May 14th at 7 p.m. at the UU Church in uh, Bangor on Park Street. Tickets are available at WERU in the meantime, join us for a time-traveling sneak preview on Main Currents with host Amy Brown, Wednesday, May 4th, that's today, at 4 p.m. Stay tuned for Healthy Options. Hi, I'm Andre Bella, your host today for Healthy Options, a radio show about integrative health therapies. Remember that this is a live call-in show, and at the half hour we'll be welcoming your questions and comments. That number is 866-625-9378, and we'll give you that number uh, periodically throughout the show. Our guest today is Catherine Lewis, Board Chair and Director of Education for Medical Marijuana Caregivers of Maine and co-owner of Homegrown Healthcare of Maine. Good morning, Catherine. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Today we're going to be discussing using medical marijuana for treatment of opiate dependence, a highly controversial topic these days. Yes, it is. Uh, Would you start, Catherine,
2: by telling us what the legal status of marijuana is in the state of Maine right now? Right now, the program that is allowed in the state of Maine is for medical use only. Um, Legal adult use has not been passed, although it will be on the ballot in November. Currently, Um, If you have one of the qualifying conditions that's approved by the state of Maine, which include cancer, glaucoma, AIDS, HIV, hepatitis, lateral sclerosis, Crohn's disease, Alzheimer's disease, nail patella syndrome, chronic debilitating pain, um, wasting syndrome, severe nausea, seizures, epilepsy, persistent muscle spasms, multiple sclerosis post-traumatic stress disorder, inflammatory bowel disease, dyskinetic and spastic movement disorders, and other diseases causing severe and persistent muscle spasms. If you have one of those qualifying conditions and you receive your recommendation from the doctor's office, then you are allowed to consume medical cannabis for those conditions.
0: Now, I think you mentioned before the show when we were talking that ultimately the goal would be to not have this huge list of conditions and have something more condensed, comprehensive instead?
2: Correct. Where are we going with this? What what we're doing is we're working with legislature to actually remove the list of conditions altogether and put – medicine back into the hands of doctors so they can make the decision as to whether they believe that medical cannabis would work for whatever your ailment might be. And does it look like that will be coming down the pike anytime soon? It does seem that our legislature currently, our DHHS committee, is in full support um, for the most part of this, this transition. So we have to wait until the next legislative session to put that bill forward to have that removed.
0: Are, are there um, very many physicians that are writing prescriptions now for medical marijuana in the state of Maine? I mean, any idea how many?
2: I'm not sure of the actual number, um, but there are many. There's probably over 100 currently, mm-hmm. although there are a handful of doctor's practices that specialize in the medical cannabis mm-hmm. um, therapies and are
0: those prescriptions like um other prescriptions where there's a certain time limit on them or
2: is there a it's not actually a prescription it's a written recommendation from the doctor um, due to the federal status of it still being considered illegal it is not an actual prescription it is a just a recommendation and they are good for up to one year Okay.
0: Yeah. When you mentioned about the um, federal regulation, that does seem to present some problems because I know I have a friend who's a doctor in Belfast and he said that his facility can't write anything for medical marijuana because they take federal funding.
2: There is Is a lot of facilities that are afraid of using um, writing recommendations specifically because of the federal DEA status. Um, Mm -hmm. But any medical doctor or DO or nurse practitioner that has a federal DEA license can write a recommendation for medical marijuana in Maine. They do not have to have a special license. It's just that many, many practices choose not to because they fear federal um, interference.
0: Yeah. So the law is a little ambiguous there yet with federal law versus state law.
2: Correct. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, you know, recently, uh, We had that public hearing at the DHS office in Augusta. I have to say it's the first time that I have ever been to a public hearing like that. And I I thought it was quite amazing. Um, Would you explain to our listeners uh, what that hearing was about and why it was held and who showed up?
2: Well, there was a lot of people that showed up, probably close to 100 um, people there to testify. And they were everybody from patients, doctors, therapists. There were people there. In support of and there were people against it Um, however the the support was um, far outweighing the the opposition the reason why we were at DHHS was to petition um, the department to add opiate addiction treatment to the list of conditions we had attempted to do it through the legislature but unfortunately due to the um, session being emergency legislation only it was not heard. So we have to go through the process of petitioning the state. Um, Dawson Julia of Unity, he is a caregiver, actually put forth the petition and re- got all the required signatures, put that forward. So DHHS agreed to the hearing. Um, at that time, we sat bes- in front of a panel of three people who heard all the testimony and we'll take it back to mary mayhew and those who will make the final decision as to whether to add this Um, i believe they have 180 days to make a decision whether they will or will not Mm -hmm. let us add it at this point
0: i i found the hearing so compelling uh, because the the format that I saw sitting there was that this was a public hearing where each individual had uh, five minutes and no longer to state their thoughts. And of course, the overwhelming majority were in favor of this. And most of them were people uh, testifying about how they had used medical marijuana to end their opiate addiction. And also healthcare workers who had, been able to do this with patients of theirs and the elderly, uh, which I don't think we we often think of in this particular case, but her testimony was, I found, particularly compelling. Um, This hearing went from, what, 10 to 2.30 with a half-hour break for lunch, so people uh,
2: filling up that entire time with five-minute tests, that was a lot of people. There was a lot of people, and I think actually some people left because the hearing room was not large enough to accommodate all the people that actually showed up.
0: And, and why was that? DHS knew ahead of time that there would be about 100 people.
2: What size room did they allot for this? Um, they, they had, I believe there might have been 30 chairs, but they were only allowing 20 to 25 people in at a time.
0: When 100 people showed up for the hearing?
2: Yes. Um, Couldn't they have gotten a bigger room? I believe they could have. Um, They they did state that they were a little bit surprised at the actual turnout, even though they had been um, forewarned that we anticipated a lot of of turnout. Um, Dawson Julia reached out to Medical Marijuana Caregivers of Maine Trade Association to help spread the word. Um, So between several different groups, we had a really good turnout. um, Physicians, practitioners, patients. The, both those in process of recovery and those that are already through recovery. So I was also, It was a little bit frustrating. Some people actually left before they got to testify just because it was a little crowded. Well,
0: I, I'm sure because I arrived at about 10.30 and the, uh, the waiting room outside the hearing room was packed with people and outside it was packed with people and the parking lot was packed with people. And I came in and I said, why aren't you people going into the hearing and that's when I found out that they'd only provided a room for 25 people. So I, I found that very interesting part of the political process. Um, I, was, I also found it very compelling the variety and ages of the people who were testifying. You know, there was the young lobsterman who, you know, maybe was in his early 20s, and then there was, uh, I think, the retired Navy um, officer. Yes. who probably was uh, in his 70s, maybe. Um, it was quite, quite compelling, the, the testimonies. Um, we, I just want to say this to our listeners. We have done um, several shows on medical marijuana, and this show is particularly about the idea of using medical marijuana to treat opiate dependence. So we are going to open up the phone lines at, at the half hour, and we do want you to call. That number is 866-866. Six two five nine three seven eight, and because this is such a controversial subject, we would really appreciate if you can keep your questions and comments specifically to the issue of using medical marijuana uh, to treat opiate uh, dependence. Uh, and that way, if we don't get into all the other issues, we'll actually be able to, you know, have make the most of the time that we have with Catherine here here today. I'm. Um, in light of the, of the serious epidemic of opiate use in Maine, um, how can medical marijuana be used to treat opiate addiction? How does that work?
2: Well, I, I think we need to back up just a hair and, and explain two different things. A lot of people, when they hear us talking about opiate dependence, they, they think about a heroin addict on the street corner and that that is true we do have a huge heroin epidemic here in maine however we're also talking about a different segment of the population where we all know that maine people are very hard workers and they they tend to injure their body over time and so you're looking at your brother your father your mother your sisters your neighbors who are regular everyday hard-working people that have never touched an illegal substance in their life, that go to their doctor for an injury that they've sustained, and they are prescribed an opiate prescription. And that prescription, because of their injuries, may be an extended period of time that causes an opiate dependence. So I want to make sure that people can vision this in their head correctly. We have a huge population of our geriatrics that are, are on a laundry list full of opiates for the various aches and pains that they have of just normal aging.
0: So we're really talking about uh, prescription drugs that people have become addicted to.
2: Correct, correct. So Mm -hmm. I just want to put that out there that that we're not necessarily just talking about heroin, although that is one of the the problems that we are trying to address because people are dying every day from opiate overdoses.
0: Yeah, I think I read a, a Figure the other day, I heard a figure that said something like 100,000 people a year um, are dying from uh, opiate
2: complications. Absolutely, it's it's frightening.
0: What, what? How many people die of medical marijuana overdose? Um,
2: to this date, I believe there are none. So you can't overdose on no, no. no. You you could die from other things, but it's not going to be from from the actual marijuana use. So if you're looking at if you were trying to manage your pain and you were
0: looking at the prescription opiate versus the medical marijuana route, and which do you think is the safer, less risky?
2: Absolutely, the medical cannabis, because it's not going to attack your liver and, and damage your, your body and, and become physically addictive to your brain. Uh, medical marijuana is a, is a natural herb, and you actually have an endocannabinoid system in your body that is designed to accept the cannabinoids from the cannabis plant um, to reduce pain, and it actually helps balance and, and bring in homeostasis to your body so that you can heal naturally without the addictive side effects.
0: W- would you um, just tell your personal story a little bit? How did you happen to get? Uh, into this particular
2: subject. Well um, my husband and I at the age of 20 and 21 were in a head-on collision Um, and we both suffered massive internal um, and back injuries. And about how long ago was that? You're trying to date me. (laughs) (laughs) It was back in December of 1990. So we're not talking about something that happened last year. No this was when we were in our, our early 20s and we were a young family with two small children. Um, We were hit head-on by a couple in their 90s driving, and I suffered internal damage, and my husband suffered severe back trauma. Um, From that, we went through two years of complete incapacitation, and we had to live with family to help take care of our our two small children, Um, and they they put us on a lot of different prescriptions to deal with the injuries, as they were healing. My husband um, was put on anti-seizure meds, muscle relaxers, pain relievers, and over a period of time developed side effects from those prescriptions that required additional prescriptions. So uh, 15 years later, he was taking about nine to 12 prescriptions a day, several times a day and at max dosage. So there was nothing more that they could give him. And eventually his. And this was for pain? This was for pain pain and and severe muscle spasms um, mm -hmm. that caused other other issues. He developed a condition called syringomyelia in his spinal cord. It's a fluid filled cyst in his spinal cord from T1 to T9. It causes uh, neurological symptoms similar to MS and fibromyalgia mixed together. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And what were some of the uh, side effects that he had from the prescriptions? that he was taking um one of the ones that that i find comical that he discusses is he was chronically angry the opiate rage is something that a lot of people do not understand and so he wasn't necessarily so so pleasant to be around he also had edema um that that started creeping up in his legs and and hands so um, is that what swelling yep. yeah swelling yep. Um, mm-hmm. blood pressure issues um, mm-hmm. different functional issues that he had, mm-hmm. um, definite sleep issues,
0: mm-hmm.
2: so he uh, is a, a unable to sleep.
0: Now, I, I heard you speak, at, there was a wonderful presentation at the Hutchison Center um, that I went to a couple of months ago, knowing we were going to do this show, I wanted to get myself educated, and I have to admit, I sat there for four straight hours, I, I was so fascinated by everything that you were talking about, and um, And Dustin Sulak was talking about, and I think there was a nurse there who talked about using medical marijuana for her cancer. Um, I found it enormously uh, compelling. Now, I, I think that, did you say your
2: husband was a lobsterman? He was when we first met, um, and then he owned his own business and did landscaping and building. Um, and how building. did all
0: this affect his ability to work, his injuries from the car accident and the opiates? How he, did
2: that affect He his kept work? going for a while with the pain meds that masked his symptoms, and then eventually his body broke down further, and he was unable to, to continue working. And so he was, was unable unemployed. to work at all?
0: Correct. Uh-huh. So you had an unemployed, angry husband on opiates.
2: Yes, and he was very depressed. It was it was a sad situation, and it was not, not mm-hmm. going well. Mm-hmm.
0: And what about yourself? Did you, um, were your injuries as bad, or did you have injuries from that accident? I did. We both that...
2: had life-threatening injuries. Um, I had ruptured intestine, lacerated liver, and um, had severe infections. And I've had multiple surgeries over the past 20 years. Um, and I'm wow. still going through physical therapy um, mm-hmm. as of yesterday. Still mm-hmm.
0: Still going. So how did you find out about the
2: medical marijuana option. I imagine back then, originally, it wasn't an option. It was not an option. And actually, my husband was a recovering alcoholic um, and drug addict himself and did not want to even consider medical marijuana, although one of his friends kept telling him that it was a better option. Mm -hmm. Um, It was finally when his liver enzyme test came back questionable that his pain management doctor suggested that we look at alternative therapies because they were going to have to wean him off from these medications. So
0: because that was a side effect of one of the medications he was taking? starting liver failure. It's scary when you read the side effects on, on the drug labels or even the ads on TV. They show this nice person riding on their bike with their dog following them on a bicycle, and they look so happy. And then you read these side effects on the bottom, and you say, why would... I mean, and may cause take death. This. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. So, um, so, tell me how you actually finally got into the medical marijuana thing.
2: What happened? His his pain management therapist referred us to Dr. Dustin Sulak in Hollowell at the time. He's now in Manchester and Falmouth. And how long ago was that? Um, that I believe was in two thousand mm-hmm. okay. mm-hmm. and nine. Okay. And. Might have been a little bit before that. I'm, I'm, I've lost track of the years right, now.
0: Right. So, just so we know, it, it's it's been a while. It's been a while since he's yeah, been I, on the medical marijuana.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. Um, he actually started going for um, osteopathic manipulation and acupuncture. And then Dr. Sulak mentioned that we should look into the medical cannabis, and we both were like, "Absolutely not. That's not something that a recovering alcoholic should be." Looking into because everybody knows that it's a gateway drug. Um, every everybody thinks, thinks it is. that it's a gateway drug. There was some in- interesting testimony at the public hearing regarding that factor. Right, <laughs> and we we learned just the opposite that it's it's actually an exit strategy. Um, Dr. Sulak worked with my husband over a year to slowly wean him off from the medications that had horrible withdrawal symptoms. Um, Terrible insomnia, shaking, night sweats, tremors, um, nausea, diarrhea. And
0: this this was all withdrawal from the prescription drugs.
2: Correct the anti seizure drugs, the Tremadol, Vicodin, Scilaxin. Um, th- there was there was a long list, and over that period of time, he introduced um, different types of cannabis, and he taught us that it doesn't have to be a smoked. A smoked product. You don't have to go roll a joint and smoke it. Um, you can use a tincture, you can use capsules, you can use oils, you can use salves, many different medicinal forms of cannabis can be I, used. I found
0: it so interesting when I went to the Hutchison Center because I had no idea. I thought medical marijuana was you, you smoke a joint. And I realized, oh my gosh, it's so more sophisticated than that. I want to remind our listeners that you're listening to Healthy Options on uh, WERU. And we are streaming live today for Healthy Options. And our guest is Catherine Lewis. And we are talking about the use of medical marijuana to treat opiate dependence. This is a live call-in show, and in a few minutes, probably seven or eight minutes, we are going to be opening up the phone lines to your questions and comments, and that call-in number is 866-625-9378. Catherine is the board chair and director of education for the medical marijuana caregivers of Maine, and so if you uh, have questions or if you are currently a person using medical marijuana and you would like to tell us your experience we certainly uh, welcome your questions and your comments Um, now you were talking about it it reminded me when you're talking about your husband and I wondered kind of why I got interested in this subject and my mother who passed away two years ago uh, had terrible problems she was on Oxycontin and my mother was a health fanatic all her life. I mean she grew wheatgras and ground it and drank it. She was a only ate organic food and I feel like in the end she because of her pain there was no medical marijuana option. And I, I even tried, and probably the few, one of the few people who's actually tried to get their mothers to smoke marijuana, I actually tried that about 10 years ago because her back pain was so severe. Many years ago, she'd been a smoker. And I um, I had a friend who I knew could get some marijuana and said, take it take it over to my mom and see, you know, if, if she'll do that. And I honestly think it was my, my mother's fear. I said, I don't really think the police are going to lock up an 80-year-old woman who's um, smoking marijuana because she has back pain. But my mother wouldn't do it, and it wasn't available at that time. And I watched her suffer terribly. And that's why I, I'm i so interested in not from my own personal situation but my experience with my mom and also with elderly people. I think that's something we don't talk about a whole lot. Um, we always think of marijuana and younger generations, but it's doing an awful lot, I think, also for elderly people with their pain, and this issue of the, the connection between the angry personality and the prescription
2: opiates was certainly something I saw with my mother. It definitely changes people's personalities. Uh, it's not something that they, they choose to be angry. It's not necessarily their normal state, but chronic pain and then adding the opiate on top of it Oh, will it m- cause those changes my
0: my mother my mother got so angry that she had uh, a caregiver that came in for about four hours a day to help her and and she was treating those caregivers like they were human expendables she would just destroy them until they would finally quit and she would just go through them at quite a rate until the health care agency called me and they said you know we're not really sure we want your mother as a client anymore and I and I told my mom it was one of the saddest days I sat down with her and I said you have to change your behavior because if you're not nicer to these people we'll get blackballed basically from these agencies and then you won't be able to stay home anymore and you'll have to go into some kind of nursing home because I don't know what else to do and the idea that there's another option here I think Especially for me personally, just having gone through this with my mother, I think is amazing. So, so people are um, elderly people are using this in what in what situations? How does that?
2: I would say that work? right now the calls that I get at my own personal caregiving business um, are probably 30% elderly. Um, really? And, and I'm saying that I'm not saying 65 is elderly, but it's probably Senior 30% Citizen, of yes. 65 and older. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had several calls from from patients in their 80s that are looking for relief from arthritis, from old injuries that have been chronic for many, many, Mm -hmm. many years. Also, it is wonderful in in assisting in slowing down and helping treat the symptoms of Alzheimer's. Um, A lot of people talk about the sundowning. Mm -hmm. It works on on calming people. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a lot of different uses a lot more than what's allowed on our list is one of the reasons why we need that list removed so that doctors can get back into practicing medicine um, Mm -hmm. because they definitely know better than, than our lawmakers. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, um, I did hear at the public hearing, uh, the few people that were opposed to this, uh, constantly say, and I think this was the Maine Medical Association had their attorney there, and their um, the gist of their conversation was that there isn't any science behind this. It's all anecdotal, but where's where's the science? What do you say to that?
2: I say that Is our federal a- government back in the 30s outlawed medical cannabis for um, big business, and they, they fed the American people a bunch of lies, and... They refused to allow. What do you the mean? What, what kinds of lies are oh, you talking about? There was there was all kinds of hysteria around medical cannabis that if you used it, you were going to go crazy, um, that you would kill people, that you would, you yourself would um, become an addict. Uh, it, it was it was a lot of propaganda. So was this
0: bad science or is this propaganda? What, it, what, it was. Why complete, were they? Do- Complete was this on propaganda.
2: Purpose? Up until up until uh, 1933, it was one of the number one pharmaceuticals in in a doctor's tool bag. In the really? 1800s, you can go back and look through the pharmacopoeia and find that medical cannabis was given to women in labor, children who are teething, um, and, and pain I, pain. In what form did they did they use it? They used a, They would smoke it, but they also used a lot of tinctures. They used. Salves, um, rubs. And exp-
0: explain what a tincture is, how a tincture is made.
2: A, a tincture, there's several different ways of making it, but basically it is stripping the oils from the cannabis plant itself, and it would be held in a medium such as coconut oil or um, glycerin, vegetable glycerin, or alcohol. Um, it could be mixed with other herbs to make tinctures that would, would treat different Issues, you know, mm-hmm. I made my husband a tincture that had a, a a couple of herbs in it, like comfrey and horsetail, as well as cannabis, to help him regenerate bone growth. Mm-hmm. So there's different different things that you would use to make a tincture.
0: Okay, so so to be the devil's advocate here, um, those were things that happened back in the 30s. But what about the science? Is there
2: a science that shows that medical Are- marijuana works? Our federal government actually prohibited any research to be done because it is scheduled as a class one, which makes it as dangerous as heroin with no medical uses whatsoever. So all research was suspended in the United States. However, when they say there isn't science, there absolutely is. There is just not our FDA approved science. If you look at the UK, if you look at Israel, Egypt, there has been research going on for many, many, many years. Um, I met one of the the scientists who discovered THC in 1965, Dr. Mushlem from um, Israel. Mm-hmm. So there is plenty of research out there if they chose to use it.
0: Well, you know, I thought there was a, an interesting one of one of the um, the. Bangor Daily News blogger that was at the public hearing. Yes, uh, Trish. Wrote, yes, Trish Callahan. Um, I read her post the other day and I thought it was kind of interesting because on the science issue, she asked the question what about the science around opiates, I, I mean, for medical use? Um, was the science done for those before they were used and was it made public originally? not now, but originally, what all those side effects and and things were.
2: I think that's kind of an interesting... Absolutely. You know, they have the long list of of side effects listed now. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think it was ever discussed back in in the day, but... You wonder if people had known, would they be so anxious to take that little blue pill? They still do. Mm Mm-hmm. Amazing. You get in it if your doctor mm-hmm. if your doctor prescribes it. You do what your doctor says. People have ultimate faith in their physicians, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. is the medical standard. Not necessarily all doctors agree with it, but it is the medical standard, so that's what they do.
0: Uh, this is Healthy Options, and today we're talking with uh, Catherine Lewis. We're talking about using medical marijuana for the treatment treatment of opiate dependence. And we are going to open up the phone lines to your telephone calls, your questions, and your comments. And uh, if you have had experience with using uh, medical marijuana to treat opiate dependence, or you know someone else who has used it successfully, if you would like to call and tell us your story or make a comment, or um, if you object to marijuana uh, totally and completely, we would like to hear your views on that. The call-in number is 866. Six two five, nine three seven eight. So call us. Catherine is here, and she uh, is the board chair and director of education for Medical Marijuana Caregivers of Maine. She's also the co-owner of Homegrown Healthcare of Maine. So call us. Uh, oh, we have a caller coming in, and callers, please tell us your name and where you're from. Um, let's continue a little bit more, Catherine. I'm, I'm I'm interested on this idea of the Schedule One. So is, is part of this strategy or would it help if, if could more research, scientific research be done if it wasn't a Schedule I drug? Yes, it could. And, um, is, is, and we're,
2: we're looking to have it descheduled, not rescheduled. We want to be able to keep this in the hands of, of the people, not the pharmaceutical companies.
0: Okay. We have a caller on the line. We have Kyle from Blue Hill. Kyle. Hey, how you doing? You're you're on the air. Would you go ahead with your question for Catherine?
1: Yes. Yeah, so well, it's not exactly a question, but it's okay. more a comment. Um, I am a 21 year old uh, medical marijuana user, and uh, my girlfriend's uh, father is as well. And he has been he got into a very bad motorcycle accident many years ago, and he broke his spine and his legs. And he has been chronically dependent on morphine now for 25 years. And recently, in the past six years, he uh, became a medical patient. And um, every year since then, he's been able to reduce his uh, morphine dependency by 5%. And um, that's just a really beautiful thing. And I wanted to thank the state of Maine for giving us that option.
0: Thanks. Thanks for calling in and sharing your story with us. Right. Bye-bye. I, I also want you we, – we have been talking about um, dependence on prescription drugs, and we've kind of – shied away from the illegal drugs, um, but we do know that that's also an epidemic that we have in the state of Maine. So um, have people successfully been able to use uh, medical marijuana to and um, their dependence on things like uh, cocaine and
2: heroin? Absolutely. Um, one of our first patients that we ran into that this, this was an issue for, actually started their drug use with a prescription due to an injury. Um, and when they took the prescription away, he was already addicted and turned to street drugs. Um, when we met with him, I was unsure as to whether he was a good fit for, for us, but my husband... And what um, makes
0: a good fit? What are you looking for?
2: Well, I, w- I was, to be honest, I, I was being judgmental and I was afraid of taking on a, a, a typical drug addict in my my opinion. Um, well, I think it's good to talk
0: about this because I think a lot of people say, oh, medical <laughs> marijuana, those are just people who want to get high and, and take drugs recreationally.
2: Absolutely. And, and that's it's funny because I get a lot of patients that come through looking for use of medical cannabis, but they don't want to get high. So they're trying to figure out methods so that they don't get high. Which I think is such an
0: interesting thing um, because are all products psychoactive? They, do they all have psychoactive
2: no. properties? No, we actually... Um, grow a few strains that are cbd dominant that is a cannabinoid found in the the cannabis plant just like thc only cbd is not psychoactive and it also has great healing properties um pain relief um, so that's a different
0: kind of plant it starts with a different kind of plant it's not that you're taking the same plant and extracting something different out of it no
2: no it's it's a a different different
0: plant different plant how many different kinds of plants are there
2: oh there are many there are there are two main types of plants there's a sativa plant and an indica plant Um, they grow a little bit differently and most of what you find nowadays are a hybrid of the two but some different strains and there are hundreds of different strains but some different strains have higher contents of different cannabinoids and there are hundreds of different cannabinoids found within the plant there's a cbd cbg cbn thc thca thcv the list goes on and on. I, I and each you, one does something a little bit different. Right. So
0: what would be an example of one uh, strain that was not psychoactive? What kind of condition would that
2: treat as an example? Well, one of the plants that we have is named ACDC. It is a 20 to 1, so it means it's 20% CBD and 1% THC. So there is a slight amount of THC in there, but not enough to actually get you high. Um We started carrying that specifically for children with epilepsy, and Mm -hmm. we found that it was so good with muscle spasms that we started using it with our MS patients and cerebral palsy patients. Um, Then we also found out that it was great at helping to prevent cancer cells from reforming for people who are in remission from cancer. Mm,
0: Interesting.
2: And that it was another way to treat pain without the psychoactivity, so then we started using it with our elderly where balance might be an issue if they had the, the, the head high from the THC. So right. they still get the benefits of the cannabis and the anti inflammation properties without mm-hmm. without the typical high.
0: I would think if you had uh, a condition like um, well, I don't know, PTSD or insomnia or something, maybe you would want some of the psychoactive part you do. because it would relax you, help you sleep. Yep. Is that am I
2: thinking on the right? Lines exactly. There? Exactly. And and okay. the the thing that we're trying to teach the other states that are legalizing and they're looking at doing CBD-only treatment is that we need to make sure that people are able to use the whole plant and all the cannabinoid profile because they each serve a different purpose within our bodies. So
0: it really is a different type of plant. What type of plant you're using that produces uh a certain percentage different of strains psychoactive. different strains, psychoactives. Right, 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 right. I just want to remind listeners, this is a live call-in show. Please call us at 866-625-9378. We're talking with Catherine Lewis. And we're talking about using me- medical marijuana uh, for the treatment of opiate dependence. Now, if someone was interested in um,
2: looking more into this and becoming a patient, how do they do that? Well, first they could start with their primary care physician and talk to them about their interest. If their primary care cannot do a recommendation or chooses not to, there are other physicians in the state. Um, there are a few primary. There's Canon Care doctors located in Bangor, Augusta, Auburn, and Biddeford. There's Dr. Sulax Integrate Health. Um, they're located in Manchester and Falmouth. There's Relief Clinic, which is also located in Auburn. There is um, Dr. Lee's Practice, which is located in Demerscada.
0: And are these all listed on your website? They are. Give us your your website right now so that people, um, maybe that's the the gateway for them to get all this information.
2: Absolutely. We have a lot of different information on our website, and it is www.mmcm-online.org. Or they can call cheryl at our office at five nine six three five zero one so the first thing they would do is go to their
0: primary care and absolutely then, and then from there they would get a, a, a script for for yep they would get they their would
2: recommendation go, and then they and would, then would ha-
0: they come to you and you, would you direct them is that is
2: absolutely
0: that the best? okay yeah, absolutely. And, and
2: what does that entail do you interview people do you what do you do no we can answer some basic questions for them we also teach classes for patients and for caregivers um, we also have an online directory that caregivers can list their their Um, businesses on so people can go to the directory and search for themselves what would might be a better fit Um, we also have paper directories that are located in most of the doctors offices as well so they can find caregivers located within their counties now explain how the caregiver system works a little bit so people understand well when you when you first get your recommendation you have three options you can be a patient that grows for themselves Although many people don't have the the space or the ability due to their physical conditions, the second option is finding a caregiver. The third option is using a medical dispensary, of which there are eight throughout the state. Those so are that more means like you can a, just
0: go and buy whatever you need from that dispensary.
2: Correct. You make you make them your um, primary, and that is the only place you can go is to that one particular dispensary. Um, same thing with a caregiver. You choose a caregiver and you have one caregiver that you go to at this time. So
0: what's the difference between going to a dispensary versus going to a caregiver? Does a caregiver do the same thing the dispensary does?
2: It does, and then there's a little bit more that we can do. We, we are able to develop a one-on-one relationship, and we can customize the treatment plan for each patient. Right now the caregivers are limited to a, a handful of patients. Um, so right now we can only treat five. That is another thing that... MMCM is, is looking that to change. To
0: Maine state law? That's
2: Maine state law. Right. Each okay. caregiver is allowed to tend to five patients mm-hmm. at a given time.
0: And how many? So there are eight dip- dispensaries. How many caregivers are there in Maine?
2: About yeah? twenty-five hundred.
0: Twenty-five hundred
2: throughout the state.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So do most people go to caregivers versus dispensaries?
2: Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: And do you have very many people growing their own?
2: Yes. Actually, there is. Okay. Um, that's one thing that my husband does is to teach patients how to grow their own and. We may have them with us for three months, six months, or a year, mm-hmm. and then they'll move on to taking care uh, of themselves.
0: I, I kind of is—is is there a sort of a personal counseling component to this? Well, as well, because we've we've done a lot of shows on uh, drug dependency, and especially um, drugs that have been taken recreationally or i'd say right self-administer self-medication basically let's say that but they're illegal um and with medical marijuana uh is does does everybody get off their dependency or is there is is addiction more than a physical thing and sometimes what how does that how does medical marijuana fit in with that counseling component
2: well we're not licensed counselors, So we yeah. need to be very careful with that. What we offer is personal experience and a support system as a caregiver. We grow, we can, we can change what we grow, um, to, to better fit our, our, patients. And we are able to, to guide them in different, different methods of, of use. So some of my patients, um, are cancer patients. My husband has more with the veterans with chronic pain and opiate addiction, Oh, could you talk about
0: that YouTube that has uh, the, the American Legion YouTube of the um, that we saw? I, I've gone back and it, it's on YouTube and um, Ryan, is it? Ryan Began. Began, yes. yes. Could, you, could you just talk about that a little bit? Oh, because people could go to YouTube and watch that. And I think it's really fascinating. And that, I'm that not that was sure
2: what the name of Sponsored of the...
0: by the American Legion.
2: Yes, and I'm not sure what the name of that particular episode is, but if they go to YouTube and search for Ryan Beagan, um, I believe it will will pull it up. And he he came to us um, as a, a veteran um, from over in the Middle East that had been um, basically blown up by an IED and lost his elbow and had many many surgeries and went down a a spiraling. Um, downward slope from the medications that our VA system put him on. And we've watched him over the past several years go from um, being a completely different person with alcohol, with drug drug abuse, um, depression, and anger issues, to now he is working nationally with other veterans to help pull them out of um, the pits and in helping them find the treatment that they need and that they don't have to have the pharmaceuticals that are just holding them down. Uh, a lot of people may not be aware that our veterans are suffering from an outrageously high suicide rate, and that is not only from the PTSD itself that they suffer from what they've seen and done, but also from the medications that they've been put on when they get back to the state. So we've, we've been treating our veterans extremely poorly, and Ryan is an ex- exemplary example of... What can be done right um, I with found just that enough support? Just
0: an, an, an incredible story that he told. Uh, I think he lives. He lives right in the mid coast area. He does. He does. And, and and the American Legion has their name on this video. I mean, I don't know if they sponsored it or whatever, but um, he is he is a veteran, and like many of our veterans, um, he, his voice should be heard on this issue. So for our listeners, uh, go to YouTube. His name is Ryan Began, B E G I N, and I think I found it uh, by either Googling his name and or the American Legion. Um, so you can you can find that on YouTube and, and watch that. It's very, very compelling. Um, visuals for me are important. I remember him sitting on his couch and saying that at one point he was taking so many prescription drugs that he needed a backpack to carry them all around every day. How sad is that? And, and he didn't start out actually being addicted he became addicted and then he actually was abusing the prescriptions that he had so he'd take them all at once and then he would crash and needless to say his his personal life was horrendous and difficult and it's so gratifying to see someone on the other side of that absolutely
2: really and he's he's married and he has two beautiful children and and living a productive life and he's also helping his fellow fe- Fellow veterans, yeah, yeah.
0: I want to remind listeners that this is Healthy Options. Um, it's a live call-in show, so call us at 866-625-9378. We would love to hear from you if you have questions for Catherine, and also if you are a medical marijuana user and you would like to tell us about your experience with medical marijuana, pros, cons, whatever your comments might be. Um, please, please do call us. Um, so, what kinds of products are available I, I, I actually I'll, say, I'll backtrack a little I went to the Belfast Library for a talk by uh, was it Dr. Ball I think, yes about medical marijuana and it was really good for me because it presented a lot of the scientific Part of it, which of course you can go read online, but gave me a better idea because I'm not a medical person. And one of the things I remembered out of her hour talk was that she said, as doctor, and and she thinks her fellow doctors are not recommending um, that you smoke marijuana because smoking isn't good for you. And it, that just kind of stuck in my mind because um, that's sort of counter to what a lot of the thinking is about marijuana. So what are I know you make some of your own products. So what are some of the things? some of the ways the carriers let's say for
2: uh medical marijuana well currently we're making tinctures we make an alcohol tincture a glycerin tincture and oil tinctures we make salves we make lotions we make capsules so they're
0: topical things there's
2: absolutely topicals there's muscle Mm -hmm. rubs Mm -hmm. um more importantly, we're using a lot of, of suppositories, mm-hmm. not necessarily the most attractive of method of ingestion, but it's a good way of mm-hmm. getting a large amount of cannabinoids into you without psychoactivity. So you can actually use a THC strain, oh, uh-huh. which might be great for, for killing cancer cells and, and helping um, in large amounts without making somebody high.
0: And is there also, on these different uh, methods... Is there also something about the speed of delivery into your system? How, how does that work?
2: Yes. Um, well, and it's also the absorption rate. That's so what I'm if, trying if to... you're smoking, you're, you may only be getting 10 to 15% of the actual cannabinoids. Whereas if you are consuming something orally like a lozenger or a, a cookie, let's say, mm-hmm. um, you may be getting 25 to 35%. And if you are using a suppository, you're going to get about 70%. -hmm. Um, And if you're using sublingual under your tongue or in your cheek, maybe 35 to 40%. So you're getting a lot more um, bang for your buck with the different methods of ingestion besides smoking. Although a lot of people do do vaporizing or smoking for immediate or acute relief. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's several several different ways that you can take the cannabis into your body and smoking is only, only one. And it sounds like from what you're saying, it's
2: not really very efficient. Well, it's it's not used a lot. Um, when we first became caregivers several years ago, we, we had a lot of people and that was mostly what everyone did was smoke. But for my husband, I started experimenting with different ways to better control his, his spasms for longer periods of time. And over, over this several years, we've, been able to offer that to our patients. Mm-hmm.
0: We, we do have a caller on the line, uh, Joel from Penobscot. Good morning. Good morning.
1: Um, I, I really appreciate this kind of show where we can express our views, and this topic in particular is of great interest to me. Uh, one of the reasons I've moved back to Maine was the laws are consistent with the public. And on medical marijuana and marijuana in general, um, I believe Maine can lead the nation uh, by setting setting an example. Uh, one of my concerns though is the stigma that many people attach to using medical marijuana uh, to treat illnesses like MS or Parkinson or other other, um, very, very difficult diseases
0: well, uh, Ka- that
2: attack older people.
0: Catherine, what, what, what do you what do you think about this? This stigma.
2: Have you found that to be an issue? It's a huge issue. And, it it and continues. How do you deal with that? Um, I, over the years, I've seen the stigma being reduced slowly. Um, we recently went to a convention a couple weeks ago, and we had more people that that stopped our booth. To just to make comments that they felt that it was truly a gateway drug and that um, exchanging one drug for another drug was was not of any medical help. So I was really surprised that that a lot of people still need to be educated, and that's what the Trade Association is here for, is to continue to educate the population.
0: Well, you are the Director of Education for Main caregivers, and tell us a little bit about the events that you have. What's coming up? What's listed on your website? And give your website again.
2: Our website is www.mmcm-online.org. Um, we hold public informationals all across the state, so it's easy to look at the our events page on on our website. We also have uh, members meetings. So if you're a member of MMCM, we have them every single week and. In different locations like Bangor, Booth Bay, Augusta, Westbrook, York. Um, tonight, as a matter of fact, we're having a public informational at Jeff's Catering that will be talking about the sales tax um, where, where for caregivers. That's in Brewer, Maine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be talking about sales tax. We'll and actually what time have a, is a representative from Maine Revenue, and that is from six to eight, mm-hmm. and that is open to the public.
0: Mm-hmm. Six to eight at Jeff's Catering in Brewer.
2: Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, our big event is coming up June 4th and 5th, and that is our Homegrown Maine Trade Show. It is our fifth annual, and anyone who has any questions whatsoever should be there. This is open to the public, um, and there will be vendors there. There will be caregivers there, physicians, practitioners, attorneys, Accountants. We have workshops. We have uh, different panels. One of our panels will be a veterans panel. Um, Another panel will be an opiate uh, recovery panel. um, And that's what we're talking about here today. But there will be a lot more information and there will be people on the panel that uh, the public can ask questions of.
0: So you've been doing quite a job. I know you're a very, very busy person on on the education uh, frontier, yes. because I think there are uh, uh, caller. Thank you very much for bringing up that issue, because I think that sometimes is the elephant in the living room. People who feel that you're just trading one drug for another. Um, we we are getting toward the end of the show. Uh, we probably have time for one more question. If you'd like to call us with a question or a comment, it's eight six six. Six two five nine three seven eight. I wanted to ask you one other quick question. I thought that I heard someone testify at the uh, public hearing that um, they had used medical marijuana like uh, post-surgery. Yes. It, is that something that's being
2: used now? Yes, absolutely. I believe um, that was actually a veteran, Larry LeBlanc, that testified that he had, um, complete knee replacement and he did not use any opiates whatsoever he only used medical cannabis and um, one of the the products that some people use and and my husband included in his surgery is concentrated oils and there's been a lot of stigma around that as well Um, I myself was concerned about it but we we found that it works for acute pain amazingly well, and it would be something that you might use on a, on a shorter-term basis. And when p- talking about an exit strategy from opiate dependence, people can use medical cannabis as they reduce the opiate um, in different forms and increase it slowly to help reduce the side effects of the withdrawal. But they can use it long-term to help maintain um, the distance from the opiates. But because medical marijuana is not physically addictive, they can then wean themselves off from the medical cannabis as well easily. Okay.
0: So in this process, let's say somebody is taking opiates for pain management. Yes. Then, then you're saying they're really addressing two issues when they take the medical marijuana. They've got to deal with the withdrawal from the opiate and they've got to deal with the pain.
2: Absolutely.
0: And so, how how does um, medical marijuana uh, f- fit fit in, or or uh, scientifically, chemically, how do, how does it deal with
2: these prescription drugs? It it works in, in many different ways, and I'm probably not the best one to get into the the actual science of it. But I know that you do have the cannabinoid receptors that um, accept the different components. It. Part of the, the process is to help your brain forget that you're in pain. It doesn't necessarily eliminate all the pain, but it helps mm-hmm. your brain forget mm-hmm. about the pain so that you can live a more normal life. It also has anti-inflammatory properties It helps reduce this inflammation, which will then naturally reduce the pain. And then it also counteracts a lot of the side effects like the night sweats and the pain and the nausea. Um, yeah, I know some people are taking
0: prescriptions for the side effects that the original. Exactly. Drug and is so they causing. don't
2: even need to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. are people that testified that are getting off from all kinds of drugs. My husband, it took a year, and he was off all pharmaceuticals and using only medical cannabis in a variety of, of forms. So
0: he's off all pharmaceuticals entirely and only using medical marijuana.
2: Correct. And he probably will use medical marijuana the rest of his life because the Mm -hmm. condition that he has will not go away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the misconception that he's just going to get off the drugs and that's it, that's not the the case. He's moved to a natural alternative instead.
0: Now, could people also use this to reduce the dosage of the opiate medication that they're taking right now even if they didn't get off it entirely could they reduce it so they only took half as much and take their prescription and take the medical marijuana absolutely it
2: is an option um and and medical marijuana is known to um intensify the effect of opiates to make it work better so that you can use a lot less when my husband had his ankle surgery he went from i think it was over 500 pills of dilaudid um the first surgery over a three-month period down to um, 140, I believe it was. That's incredible. Just using medical cannabis. So that, he had to use a the, the little bit of the opiate just for the acute, for the immediate term. So it was kind of a transition. It was him. a transition.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this is a topic that uh, we need to talk more and more of. We're at the end of our hour. Um, Catherine, I want to thank you for joining us today on Healthy Options. And I want to thank our station engineer, John. Thank you very much. And all of our listeners and callers, be well, uh, be happy, and please join us next month for Healthy Options. <music> Support for WERU comes from our generous listeners.
2: You make community radio possible. Thank you.
1: Hello, this is C.J. Walk, your host for Common Ground Radio, which airs on the first Friday of each month at 10 a.m. here on WERU, your community radio station. Common Ground, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, is an hour-long show devoted to the discussion of organic.